live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He is the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks. We have a lot to talk in the land of entertainment, so we are going to start deep diving into everything you need to know about in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. So definitely join in the conversation with us on social media, on TikTok, on Twitch, on anything that is everything that is the ODPH. You swing on over to odphpodcast.com. You join in on Facebook. You join in on Instagram. You join in on Twitter. You join in on Podchaser. You get the gist of what I'm saying. You join in and we interact. This is how we do this show. And always remember, use the hashtag ODPHpod. Now, that being said, it is Wednesday. And you know what that means, Pad. Uh, Loki. Yes. Disney Plus has unveiled the latest episode of Tom Hiddleston's mischievous character, Loki. Mm -hmm. And the series has been rave reviewed. It is only six episodes. And now we are ready to deep dive into episode three. The past two episodes have definitely lived up to the billing. It has a very cool Doctor Who vibe. Oh, yeah, for sure. They've outdid Legends of Tomorrow with this. Because as we jump in to the story of Loki, in case you haven't been following the past two episodes, he has been taken out of time because of his actions in Avengers Endgame, and he has been brought in by the Time Variance Authority to help solve a murder case. Yep. And why is it so important that he's involved, Pat? Uh, Because it's Loki, although not... His version of Loki, at least we don't know, uh, but it's a female version of Loki. Yes, so a big curveball was thrown into the mix, and then after we have the big re- revelation in episode two that Loki decides to go chasing after the variant, that is where we are right now. Mm-hmm. So that being said, we have a very big thing here at the ODPH. It's called the 72-hour embargo. We will not be talking about this on social media. In for 72 hours. Then oh, my we, God, that Agatha cameo, though. Oh, bite your tongue. That's how bad internet stuff happens. No, we are definitely going to stay off the social media about it. That's why we keep it right here on this podcast episode. So if you want to talk some Loki, we are going to be talking spoilers. We say that very loud. We are going to be talking spoilers. So you don't want the episode spoiled for you. Watch it first. We give you the time jump in the liner notes of this episode so you can still enjoy the rest of the episode. But if you want to talk Loki and you are ready to deep dive into it, we give you fair warning. We are going to start jumping in to episode three in three, two, one. Pad, what did you think? It was okay. It might have been the weakest episode thus far for me, but it, was, it wasn't terrible. It was okay. I agree with you. This one, I, I hate saying the word filler. It was a it, well, it was a little campy. Yeah, I know that we have just been on such a fever pace since this show has come out, and I guess that's one thing that we as fans are spoiled with at times. Yeah, that because there's only so many episodes in a season, that it's almost like you got to get everything into a major earth shattering moment. That 
when you're doing character and story building, it just doesn't have the same impact. No. It just kind of falls flat a little bit. But this episode was still good, titled Lemons, or Lamentis, actually, is the name of it. And this one, you know, it had its moments, but it really was to explore the dynamic between the variant and Loki. So as we see, Loki has now followed the variant, who we have to give credit to Dre Driven. He did call this out on social media. Shout out to Dre. It was Sylvie, who we do know from the comics a little bit, Pat. Okay. So Sylvie is an enchantress-type character. Sure. That has a very messy background a little bit. So you just described most of the characters in comic history, but yeah. Right. Well, as being the Enchantress, we do know Amora the Enchantress is very well tied to Thor throughout the years. Sure, so we, sure. we do know that she has scourged the Executioner with her at most times. At least it's not like a messy, like, forgotten sibling. No, it definitely wasn't. But we do know that for where we see her in the comics, it is really she's filling in the role of the Enchantress. So she's not fully the Enchantress. She does have this Loki resemblance because if you really know the background of the character, you understand why. Because Loki has a lot to do with her and her powers. Mm -hmm. But I digress. So this is where we jump into where she is now running the show, so to speak. And this is where they do go back to the TVA. And Sylvia is... First, trying to figure out everything that has been going on. And we do see how her powers do work in a little segue before she really deeps dive into the TVA. We do see that she has that standoff with the agent Hunter C-20, played mm -hmm. by Sasha Lane. Mm -hmm. And we see that Sophie D. Martino's character, Sylvie, has been acting like she's her best friend this entire time. They're yeah. out having drinks and they're talking yeah. about the brain freeze challenge. Because what is going on here is the variant, a.k.a. Lady Loki, a.k.a. Sylvie, is trying to deep dive into Hunter's head and get as much information as she can. So when it doesn't work the first time around, we go back to like it's they're still at the same restaurant they're at and they're yeah. like they're best friends. But she's coming with a different approach. And I loved how Sophia did this because she definitely gave it a totally different vibe to it. And as we see is when they go back to the rock smart that they are in during the hurricane. Mm -hmm we see that this is how she's using her powers to deep dive into her head. Then we, we see the fight with Loki. So we do get the quick synopsis of where she yeah. is. But when we finally see what she's doing at the TVA, that is one way to make an entrance. Yeah. Because she comes in and is fighting everybody and wiping soldiers off the map. The only thing missing was like some sort of like rock, very popular song playing in the background. I was expecting that too, because you know they did an episode two. Uh, for some reason, need a hero. For some reason, and maybe this was just because I watched uh, Kingsman a couple weeks ago. Freebird came to mind. Yeah, it definitely had that. <laughs> it definitely had that kind of vibe. Uh, to I was it. just waiting for the guitar solo and Freebird to start playing. Yeah, it was one of those scenarios where it's like, okay, I could definitely see this happening. This is going to get all types of weird and crazy, but. We saw her just laying her authority down, so to speak. To quote The Rock, she layeth the smackdown. Yes. And then we see that Loki, Tom Hiddleston, is falling right behind. But he goes to his lockers for something. Mm -hmm. I didn't even realize he had a locker, but then obviously he's Makes working. Sense. He's working for he's a the TVA. So, yeah. So he does have it, and he grabs his daggers, which is a kind of cool play. And he winds up confronting Sylvie. And as they're fighting... He's saying, listen, I'm trying to work with you. And she understands how he ticks, mm -hmm. which I love how they pulled this off. I yeah. thought this was a very cool trick that they did that Sylvia is just not buying it. So they're having their battle while the TVA soldiers are in attendance mm -hmm. until 
we see Ravona swing through and basically capture them as we thought they were going to. Yeah. But they wind up escaping and jumping into the time stream yet again. So, like I say, this is kind of had the Doctor Who vibe, like I touched yeah. upon, because usually there's kind of some big conflict, but the Doctor winds up escaping at times. It's, time. it's a Doctor Who vibe, but it's it's almost as if, if you're familiar with Doctor Who, it's almost as if it's from the perspective of the Master. You yes. Know, for a couple of times he's been on, on the show. Yes, I fully agree with you about that. And as we see, they do wind up making a time jump to Lamentis 1 mm-hmm. in the year 2077. Mm-hmm. Now, Pad, what is so significant about this jump? Uh, well, it's it's a, another cataclysmic apocalyptic event mm-hmm. where you've got, I don't, is this a full-on planet or is this just another moon that they're they're on? This is a moon that they're on, but okay. it's going to get crushed by a but, planet. Yeah, so the, the, the two planets are, you know, the two celestial bodies are getting pulled together for some reason. Uh, and everyone on the uh, moon is about to die. Yeah, which I will admit, at first thought, I was like, are we going to have a rumor of Galactus? I just... Maybe. I had some kind of weird thought, like, okay, why is the planet... I was having fl- I was having flashbacks to bad star- old, old canon Star Wars stories where they killed Chewie by dropping a moon on him. Yeah. That, that happened. That did happen. That was bad. It, yeah, that was really bad. But this was the first thing I thought. I was like, okay, we're, are we going to tease Galactus? Mm. Which would have been cool. I mean, if, maybe if we saw some smoke in the sky. I mean, I was expecting something to happen, which I was like, if you're going to jump this far in advance, yeah. and we do know the right. I don't. Th- are- I don't think we would have gotten a name drop, but maybe just maybe not like a full name drop. But if it were to have happened, I think it would have been like maybe a nickname. I figured we would have saw his spaceship, yeah, maybe, or something in that variation. Like maybe the shadow of one of his I th- uh, I think, helmet sides. I, th- I think if we would have gone into space, we prob- we might have. Yeah, because that would have just been completely epic. But, and about the entire episode, we were on the on the moon. No, we're definitely on the moon, and we're seeing that our two characters here have, have the odds stacked against them because when they crash into the planet, they wind up breaking the time pad. Whoops! That's used for jumping. Yeah, so this is now causing a bit of intro. I believe, and, as the saying goes, they are currently up Shit's Creek without a paddle. Yes, because at first it seems that it's just out of power. But when I was looking at it again, it looked damaged from the I'll say it, the looked like, it looked like they had it in one of their back pockets and they landed on their butts. Yeah. It was one of those weird scenarios that I was like, okay, well, if it landed, it does look beat up, it does look smashed. Mm-hmm. And I know they kept saying it was out of power, but it's like I thought from the one angle, it looked like the front cover was cracked. I mean... Sylvie has been jumping up through time enough that if she says it's it's out of power, I tend to lean on her. Be- yeah. Just because I, f- I feel like if it wasn't out of power and it was broke, or even if it wasn't, nothing was wrong with it, and they were she was just kind of like faking it just to kind of try and ditch him, she would have ditched him. Yeah. But I mean, if she says it's it's out of power, I'm I'll I'll lean with her. I was leaning with it as well. She knows better than I do. But you never know what she was trying to do because that's the one thing about this vibe between those two. They're both not good people. Yeah. So it's a it's that whole spy versus spy thing. Yeah. Somebody the cards trying are to get close the one to up. the chest. Yeah. Yeah. Because Loki during this entire time is trying to figure out what is going on. Yeah. And Sylvia is saying, "No, I'm just figuring out my plan." But now you've ruined it. Well, and especially he's getting about as many answers from the TVA and Owen Wilson's character as he would from a brick wall. Yeah. Which is none. So I think if he's, we all know. Let's face it, it's Loki, god of mischief. 
He's got ulterior motives. He's got ulterior plans. He's not getting enough information to go on to further those plans with the TVA. Mm. So why don't I go with somebody who's at least a little more forthcoming, albeit I got to get a crowbar to get it out of her. Yeah, but there's still that dynamic that he's still saying, okay, this might be my only option. I need to try throwing everything at it. I can't. Right. And they do get some success because you do see that Sylvia is trying to work with them because they have determined – okay, we have about 12 hours before this planet explodes mm-hmm. because this moon, rather, I should say, because this planet is going to come crashing into it and we're all gone. So they do know that they have a lot of problems happening. So as they're trying to get to finding some sort of solution to repower the time pad, they do run into somebody off the beaten path mm-hmm. that's in their own cabin. And it's a little kind of quirky, fun moment because she has a sonic blaster, apparently. Yeah. And is shooting at everybody coming near the door until, you know, Loki is trying to be very suave and saying, well, hello, I'm just curious if I can assist. And he sees a picture of what he assumes is her husband and morphs into him. Yeah. And the reception he gets is, well, Pat, how would you describe? Uh, Less than friendly. Yeah, he winds up getting a force blast and gets knocked on his ass. Put it to you this way. You get a warmer reception from Mr. Freeze. Facts. Because it's revealed that, yeah, this inhabitant was not exactly happy with her uh, husband, we would assume. Yeah. But they do get some information that if they can get to a train station to get to the arc that is supposed to save some people, they might have a shot to Getting some real Transformers vibes. Yeah, it definitely had that vibe. So this wound up turning into a little bit of an adventure, which... I wasn't mad about No. I mean, it was, it was supposed to be a fun episode. It's just the only thing, as you say, is like you're only allowed six in a season here. Right. you got to make every moment count. Yeah, but a little campy for me. It, it, like I say, but they wind up having a little fun exchange, and you do see how they're playing off each other because they wind up pulling a little bit of a scam to get on the train because they need to get a ticket. And I just kept on thinking, I was like, well, I just saw this kind of in the same vein with Sweet Tooth. Right. But this is obviously going to be a little different. And you see Loki working his magic, and they do get on the train, and they do wind up having some exchanges of their background. So you do see that Sylvie is slowly starting mm-hmm. to warm up a bit. And they do go back and forth, and you see Loki ex- talking about his his relationship with his mother. Right. And then she winds up talking about how she left the postman lost in time. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not sure exactly what kind of Easter egg that might be. So we'll kind of have to wait to see if that I'm sure the internet play. will come with a theory. First one, mm-hmm. Mephisto. Oh, of course. But it was interesting to see how it plays off. And she was really trying to say, well, that is what love is. Like, what do you say love is? And that and it wound up being that Loki's love is mischief. Yeah. So as she winds up taking a quiet nap, as they do a little time jump, no pun intended, we see Loki has made friends with everybody on the train. That he went from being in disguise, as he looked like he had stolen somebody's uniform, to now he's back in his time-variant jacket. I almost want to call it a varsity jacket. Mm-hmm. And, Pad, what is he doing? He's singing. He's partying. So he's doing full-blown karaoke. It's like a, like a Friday night at a bar. Yeah. It was a wild scenario, but... Like, he was singing in Asgardian. Yes. Which I don't think we've heard on screen before. No, we have not. And I thought that was such a cool play that they did as well, because I'm going, wait a sec. This does not sound like uh, anything we've heard before, and it definitely sounded like it had an Asgardian vibe. And I wasn't sure exactly what the song was, but he was definitely living in his moment as Sylvie wakes up and says, you're drunk. Well, and and I can tell from, because when I was watching this point at the show, I was making my lunch uh, for today. 
uh, for later in the day at work. Uh, and I ha- was watching on my phone because I switched from my TV to my phone. And just for whatever reason, the subtitles were on on my phone. Mm-hmm. So I was seeing the subtitles and you weren't getting any translations out of the subtitles. The only thing, because like it was just saying speaking as guardian language. And then when he would sing in English, it was like the same two lines over and over again. So like you never got any like what he was saying or anything out of it from the subtitles. Right. But it was still a very cool moment, and especially Hiddleston's charisma during this scene. I mean, he just oozes cool. And this was what really made this a fun moment until, of course, they are exposed because Sylvie realizes you're back in your regular clothes. Mm-hmm. You know this is going to be a problem, and Loki's just trying to brush this off. But as we see, the authoritative figures wind up making their way to the lounge and say, where are your tickets? Yeah. And after pulling the fast one saying... Tickets, please. Tickets. Their, their tickets were already comped via a little mind control possession. They well, can't use that this time. Well, and Loki's still under the influence of uh, certain adult beverages. Yes. Goes, oh, turns around and goes, oh, our tickets are right here. Turns around and freaking fireworks are coming out of his hand, which admittedly, it's a cool party trick. Real handy. Nobody's going to buy that. No, definitely wasn't buying it. So they wind up getting into a little skirmish. And they do get thrown physically off the train. Mm-hmm. Which... While it's moving. Yes. Well, the train is moving very fast, so they wind up hitting the ground very hard. It is now 1,000% sure the time pad is gone. Oh, God, yeah. That thing has smashed the smithereens. So as they're realizing that their only chance to escape has gone out the window, literally, Yeah. they come up with a new plan on the fly, which is get to the Ark... And now you're just going to fly off the ship and just take it hostage, Mm -hmm. which sounds crazy. And it is. But, hey, it's Loki. So as they finally make their way into the hub that is housing the ship, Mm -hmm. it's its own little sub city. They're seeing that time is moving differently at this moment. Yeah. And I thought that was kind of a cool play they did because one thing they were focusing on with the camera angles is, they didn't break away for cuts. No, it was like one, one continuous shot, yeah. This was the proverbial hallway scene from yeah. a Netflix show. Yeah. Under the Defenders banner. Yeah. They stayed on those two as the world is crashing around them and they're they're trying to get to the arc in time. Yeah. And I will say it was a very cool visual scene to to figure out once you realize that that's what they were doing. Oh yeah. Because you're seeing all right the the sky is literally falling on them Mm -hmm. and as they're bobbing and weaving they're trying to get there sylvie is really trying to say this is how we got to get back to the time variance and you know really know the truth and how she segues about the truth is very interesting because what is the big bombshell that she reveals pat uh that the time variant people that work there aren't folks who were born there they're variants like uh loki and sylvie yes which is definitely an interesting play. It's and It's a cool twist. It's a very cool twist because you think about it, Owen Wilson's character, Mobius, has been saying that, no, that's not how it happens, that the time variants are creating everybody there. But no. Well, it, well, and didn't the one guy, the desk guy, who's been in like almost every major Disney Plus show at this point, um, didn't he say, oh, I don't know? Like like when Loki was describing an animal. Or yeah, he was describing fish. He was describing fish. The guy's like, I don't know what fish is. I've, I've never seen a fish. I've always grown up and lived here. Yes. This goes back to what the time variants are actually doing. And, I mean, it looks like they're controlling everybody. So who's scamming who here? The yeah. plot thickens. 
Because during this revelation, they're still trying to get to the ship. And what happens when they're just about to get their pad? Gets blown up. Yep. All hope is lost in a big explosion. Yeah. So thus, they are left hanging, wondering how are we going to get out of this end scene. It's going to be a miracle. Yeah, it definitely left with a cool cliffhanger, but this episode... Pat, I'll let you get your thoughts in first. Uh, It was okay. Like I said, a little campy. It wasn't too much in terms of like an earth shattering revelation, you know, and I wasn't necessarily expecting one, but the plot really didn't advance all that much other than we got the, you got the reveal with the TVA and what's going on with that, if it's true. Mm -hmm. But other than that, not much happened. It's just kind of like you stayed in place. You didn't really move all that much. No, this one was so focused on establishing the connection between Sylvie and Loki that not a lot else really happened to say wow yeah like holy shit water cooler moment yeah this was a cool show in establishing the dynamic between the two that obviously loki is thinking well i'm looking at a female version of me but yet it's not the same it's a very interesting play that they did for this because sylvia is a completely different character now that Mm -hmm. we know she is so to see that and she even says that too i'm not you i'm like you but i'm not you was a very notable scene that happens in this episode because they are very different people. And whatever Sylvie's endgame is, we still haven't figured out. No. That we know that she wants to get to the time variance. Even Loki says, so you have absolute power. And she's like, no, you don't understand that. So I'm not sure what direction they're going to go in. But now that they're stuck there, I think the easy way out is Owen Wilson's Mobius is going to find him. Oh, probably. They'll get tracked down. So it's like, all right. Because he's already he's already got the like equation, so to speak, of how to find him. It's just he's got to nail it down. Exactly, because obviously with uh, three more episodes left, we still got some story to wrap up. And especially now with the bombshell revelation that all the TVAs are variants, it almost makes me wonder about who is Mobius really. Yeah. How much would you want to bet he's actually Thor? Oh, that'd be fun. As a variant. Thor or even... Uh... Oh God! What's his name? Uh, Heimdall. That'd be that'd be funny if it was Heimdall, but I know. Yeah, it's not. or Balder. Like there's there's so many Asgardians you can play off of. That is it. But I'm gonna say I'm thinking it's Thor. I'm gonna put that as my official leap for this show. All right. Because with Mobius, it's interesting to see how he's try. He's so faithful to Loki, even though he shouldn't be. Right. And if you think about it in the comics and even in the MCU. Thor is so loyal, even though he shouldn't be to Loki, that he stays with him no matter what. And it's something I could definitely see with Owen Wilson's character being, if he is actually a variant of Thor. Who knows how it's going to play out? We'll see. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting about that. But as we go to wrap up Lamentus, like I say, not the strongest episode and as much as like a box office boom but if you like your character moments, you definitely got it. And the acting was on point. Yeah. You know, they definitely wanted to establish this was all about building the character connection. So you have a better understanding of who Sylvie is. But it still left us hanging a little bit. That was yeah. the only thing about it. Like, you did say, okay, she's a variant uh, in her own right. She does borrow a lot from the Enchantress. She's not fully the Enchantress, though. But we have to kind of see what's going on there. And we do know that everything with the TVA is not exactly as it seems. Yeah, it's not on the up and up. No. So how is this going to play in with three episodes left is anybody's guess. And obviously we have a small cliffhanger we'll get through very, very, very quickly for episode four. 
But for where we are now, still on board with the show, not giving up on it anytime soon. But I do want to see them come back with a little stronger episode. And maybe it's because I am a little bit spoiled. Because the character dynamic of this did deliver, but it wasn't like the deep understanding. I feel very sympathetic towards Sylvie Mm -hmm. and her plan because I still don't know what it is. And I'm still not a thousand percent sure we're at that stage that this is going to have a big payoff. That's my only fear with this. But then again, I just got to let it ride out because, like I say, they're borrowing so much from Doctor Who. This is starting to set up like a Doctor Who series. I don't know. We'll have to kind of see where we go. We give you our picks. But let us know what you think. Hit us up on the hashtag. Hashtag ODPHpod. Episode 3 of Disney Plus and Marvel Studios. Loki, what is your thoughts? What's your guesses? Throw them in the chats. We want to talk about it. And we will be talking on social media at large about this in 72 hours. So until then, we'll have to keep it on the DMs, shall we? But definitely let us know your spoiler-free picks until then. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Wine, Dine, and Storytime. I'm Nydia. I'm Dana. I'm Cindy. And we're your hosts. Have you ruined a family gathering by asking what wine pairs well with eating a husband? Are you the CEO of TMI? Have you ever been kicked under the table because you brought up your favorite dinner topic, atrocities throughout history? Then this podcast is perfect for you. Each week, Dana and I share stories based on topics that include true crime, historical shenanigans, unexplained mysteries, and all things fascinating, while our amateur chef Cindy prepares themed dinners and pairs wines based on those topics. Find us, the Wine, Dine, and Storytime podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, and give us a follow. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. And man, oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man. Just when you don't think the show can get any better. CW slash DC Comics, Superman and Lois, delivered, I will say, their best episode yet. Yep. In my opinion, and I put this out on Twitter last night, at OD Parley Hour, and I will stick to my guns about this. This episode reminded you why you care about Superman. Mm-hmm. And obviously, it went a little sideways at the end, but it makes sense to the story. But they decided to drop the mic on this because, unfortunately, they're going to be taking another break Yep, for a while till July 13th. Yep. So we are going to have a little break from our favorite show here on the CW. But fear not, we're going to send it out in a little bit of style because we are going to start deep diving into this past week's Superman and Lois entitled A Brief Reminiscence in Between Cataclysmic Events. So we know the deal. We give you spoilers. We like to talk spoilers because we'd like to talk about it. But if you want to duck them, that's perfectly fine. Pause this episode right here. Watch it. And I mean it. You need to watch this and then jump back in the conversation because Pat and I are going to start deep diving in three, two, one. Pat. What did you think? I thought this episode was absolutely incredible. And I'll be honest, at the start, I had to check that this wasn't a rerun. That I I hopped on, I got home, turned on TV, uh, started watching the episode, and I start seeing stuff. I've, I feel like I'm like, I've already seen this. So wait, is this, this is a rerun? I thought it was supposed to be a new episode tonight. I'm you know, watching on Hulu Live. Says it's a new episode. I look on IMDb, new episode today. I'm like, all right, I'll stick this out. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? Man, this was a good episode. I literally sat and watched it, and I was getting all the feels. I was like, for somebody that has never super been into Superman, no pun intended, I was like, this is the guy that I keep hearing about. Yeah. And we always scream about Tyler Hoechlin's performance, except Coach Duffy. He likes to yell about, dad, 10 more pounds. 
but he has just mastered this role. Oh my god, yeah. Like it's him. Like I cannot see him doing anything else, unfortunately. This is going to be him as Clark Kent forever because he instantaneously brings so much subtle charisma to this role that is just so overwhelmingly for the viewers, you get hooked. Mm-hmm. And to think about where this show has begun, because it's a completely new story based in the whole CW Arrowverse, where Superman and Lois have to leave Metropolis with their sons, plural, to Smallville, and they're trying to start life over when one develops superpowers, and it doesn't come that easy. A lot of outside threats are coming in, and none bigger right now than the major reveal they did that Morgan Edge, who was getting wrote, written off by yours truly as a Maxwell Lord wannabe, mm-hmm. is actually Superman's real brother, Tal Rowe. Yep. Played by Adam Rayner, who's absolutely stepped his game up for this role since the big reveal. So that is where we are right now. And Superman obviously had to deal with the fallout of the first plan involving the Eradicator machine mm-hmm. and creating a Kryptonian army. And we did see that he was left worse for wear at last week's episode. So where we jump in here, we see a young Clark yep, basically living through his eyes of how he created the Fortress of Solitude. Mm-hmm. So he's in Antarctica. He's running. He drops a crystal into the ice. Things are rising all over the place. Yep. We see the origin of the Fortress, which yep. is a very cool scene because I was always curious how this went down. And we see how he is talking to Jor-El, and he is explaining, Clark, you are not Clark. You are Kal-El from Krypton. This is your DNA. Yeah, it's, like, it's a classic, you know, origin story stuff. Yes, because at this time, he is a teenager. Yep. And he's left home. It was that, after his father died. Yep. Yeah, so they do time, kind of time jump a little bit in the beginning here, because I was like, wait, what is going on? It threw me off for a little bit. But during this sequence, too, we do see like a, a blip. And I thought something was wrong Mm -hmm. with my TV. So I was like, okay, well, something's happening. And then we see that Clark winds up going back to Smallville. Yep. Going and meeting up with his mother again. And he's left with the definition of why do I care about Earth? Why do Mm -hmm. I want to be its champion? Yeah. And he has a very cool heart-to-heart. And he's explaining everything about Krypton to her. And she is listening, you know, intently because she's just happy to have her son back. Michelle Scabarelli, who's played Martha Kent, did a great job of just, you know, being the comforting shoulder to Clark because he has obviously got a lot to sink in. He's yeah. been gone for a while. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, gone for a while. We see the training montage, running, jumping, and all that good stuff. He comes back. And I got to say, it was good to see Martha again. Yeah, it definitely was. It wasn't out of place. It made sense no. because they did jump from the beginning of the episode to where we are now, and they didn't exactly say how long he had been gone, correct? Correct. So I'm going to say it was at least five years, if not longer. Probably. I think it was longer. Right. So as he comes back, he's saying, well, I'm back for one reason. He wants to run into Lana. And when he is ready to, unfortunately for him. She's moved on. She's moved on. She now sees that she has a wedding ring on, and she's now with Kyle. And that whole scene was heartbreaking because. Oh, man. And I was, and I got to admit, I was trying to place when this was taking place because harry potter was on the movie theater marquee mm-hmm. so that puts it anywhere from 2001 to 2011 uh don't ask me how i know that off the top of my head i just do uh but it's heartbreaking because he's looking for her and he sees her there and he's across the street and he yells lana and he raises the hand but she can't hear him over the over the crowd and over the cars going by and then 
uh, her her fiance, fiance husband whatever at that point shows up and hugs her and tells her some good news and he's just like heart meet a thousand pieces oh yeah no it was definitely an emotional scene and you're just like oh you just you have to feel for clark mm-hmm. that he is just absolutely devastated he comes back he's trying to make everything right with lana and but he's too late as much as they change things with the superman mythos and how they tell it over movies and tv and and in cartoons that's one thing that always stays the same he can never get with lana yeah it's always an interesting play that happens there but as he goes back and is heartbroken and talking to his mother Martha does build him back up yeah, and does say, this is your dream to be the champion of earth. Mm-hmm. I had a dream you were, and I saw you in this suit and she winds up making him a suit. Now it is mm-hmm. not just any ordinary suit pad. What suit is it? It is the max flasher suit from the cartoons from like the forties or whatever it is mm-hmm. that we saw in episode one. I love seeing that suit on screen. Uh, it does not get enough love. No, you're absolutely right. It does not get enough love. And I marked out when I saw him having it. And I'm going, oh, my God, here we go. And as you see, he now goes to Metropolis and is now getting his job at the Daily Planet. And he does see that there's a threat going on, so he does run outside. And we do see that one scene from the beginning of episode one where he does save the car that's falling off the highway. Kind of does a a recreation of the original Action Comics cover. Yes. And we see that he winds up saving the child and they have the cool exchange and people are now aware of Superman. And as he flies back, he runs into a photo or a phone booth and changes back to Clark. Yeah, which seeing that, how the hell does nobody notice he he does that? Because it's not that... hidden he's moving so fast people just don't realize right but it's still like from where we're even seeing it and like i get we know he's sort of this and the other but like seeing him do that like it isn't that a little weird oh it, it's it's always weird i've never understood that but then I, again, I, I love though that that nod though because that's not something you see no. in any of the current incarnations so subtle and so classic like I just marked out for it i the was o- like the only thing missing was him going into like a broom closet at the daily planet and doing it yeah but it was such a cool moment. Then we do see the blip again, so that's why you kind of know something's happening there. And as we see that he winds up going into the Daily Planet and now meeting Lois Lane for the first time. So yep. you see the instant chemistry going on between Elizabeth Tolick and Tyler Hoechlin. I Hoekland. think it was a lot of the same footage from the first episode. Yeah, it was. So it wasn't really reinventing the wheel, but it's kind of just showing you a longer view of it. And you do see where the connection is made. And during this time, they're assigned to a case that is going yeah. on because Lois is now trying to un- unmask an undercover Nazi group that is yeah. in Metropolis. Yeah. And she they're piecing everything together. And you're kind of seeing how Lois and Clark are kind of falling for each other. And, right. and Clark is really trying to play it ultimate Boy Scout. And Lois is just super frustrated before Clark jumps on just because she knows this is a big case or a big story. She knows that the word needs to get out about this, but just nobody can give it. You know what? Because, well, Superman's running around. Yes. So during this time, you're seeing that Lois is now called away and there's and nobody can find her the next morning. Yep. And he winds up using his powers to kind of track down, okay, wait, who did she go see? And, and somebody at the planet says, oh, he went to go see the mechanic. I believe it was. Yeah. And he does see through his x-ray vision the, the address and winds up going. It's and like then, a, It's like a uh, business card. Yes. And then as she goes or he winds up going to the scene, we do see Lois is in danger because – their group's uh, super soldier, so yeah. to speak, is there with a flamethrower. Uh, uh, yeah, I believe it's Adam Man. Yeah, Adam Man. Thank you. I was I was blanking because I was going to say Adam Smasher, but I know that's not him. And you see that he was threatening him and going 
basically saying he's going to kill Lois. Yeah. Superman comes in, saves the day, saves her from being engulfed in flames. Yeah. And then during this time, too, Lois winds up hitting him with the taser and the metal helmet. <laughs> so he's taken care of. Yep. It's a cool moment because this is the first time Lois is seeing Superman for the first time. Yeah, it would have been cool, though, uh, because there's somebody who goes, what, what, what's his name? Would have been a cool nod to Smallville to call him the Red Blue Blur because when in Smallville, when Clark first showed up to Smallville, or not Smallville, showed up to uh, Metropolis and was doing his superhero thing, they couldn't come up with a name for him, so they called him the Red Blue Blur. Yes. Would have been a cool nod, but I, I'm fine with it. It definitely would have been. I know they kind of touched upon it a little bit because uh, they did say the the red suit man. Yeah. It's some, there's something in that yeah. variation. Yeah. It was a quick throwaway line because Lois is trying to figure out what to call him because this now she's seen the phenom firsthand that comes in. And now stays. she's buying in. Yes, now she's buying in. We do see the blurb again, too, of the shadow figure that's kind of popping yeah. in and out. So obviously you know something's happening here. And then we go to the first uh, TV interview where Superman agrees to be on Good Morning Metropolis with yeah. Lois. And we do see kind of the she's trying to pry information out of him. And this was one of the coolest moments, too. Yeah. It's subtle as all heck. But she is trying to say, you know, what are you standing for? Is you're somebody that represents truth, justice, and the American way? Well, she goes, what do you stand for? And he goes, truth and justice. Mm. And then she, like, there's this long, very big pause, and she goes, in the American way, and he almost goes, don't put words in my mouth. Yes, and he winds up speaking in a different language. Yeah, because he's like, I speak many different languages. I think he speaks in, like, Mandarin Chinese. Yes. And then among a whole other, she's like, well, how many languages do you know? All All of of them. them. Why? Because I was very curious in your culture. Yes. Such a cool moment. Some people watch documentaries. Some people travel the world. He learned 200-something languages. Yeah. Okay. I was on board. I was like, that is a cool thing to see because we haven't really seen too much of these throwbacks lately in the comics. Yeah. And this is just another cool way because obviously everybody knows who Superman, Truth, Justice, and the American Way was the old moniker. So this was a cool play to see. And then we see that Lois immediately stops the interview. And she's going over to the producer. Because the, the, the mic is getting all screwed up and it's getting a ton of feedback. Yeah. So they have which, to reset. Which, hmm, was that because of technology or because of Superman? Hmm. Exactly. Which is another cool thing that he's doing because he understands the game. He understands whatever he is feeding out to the world is something that enemies can pick up on. Him. He's very savvy. Yeah, he's extremely very savvy. And as we see Lois is talking with the producer, the producer is saying, you know Superman has the hots for you. Yeah. This is clear as day. Yeah. And she is like, well, that's nice and all, but I'm in love with somebody else. And you see Superman's face drop. Yeah. And this is, this is another sly moment, too, that you yeah. see his face drop. And she's like, well, who are you in love with? And she's like, oh, it's Clark. I know he's a little dorky and a little goofy, but I love him. Yeah. And all of a sudden Superman's like, yep. All right, back in. I'm I'm going to take care of this. And they wind up having that kind of cool playoff. Well, and there's the cool moment with the producer that they keep going on and on. She keeps going on and on about Clark. And, she, and the producer's like, this is cool and all, but doesn't he have super hearing? And you and kudos to Tyler Hoechlin on this. He says a lot without saying a word that he just kind of glances over at him smirks a little bit, and just nods a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they played the scene off perfectly. Such a cool throw moment that we do fast forward to where Lois finally mm-hmm. goes to meet Martha in Smallville. Yeah, because I so, think at this point they've been dating a little bit. Yeah, they jumped around a little bit with this part. So they do jump ahead. So Lois is now in Smallville, and they kind of tease around the, the fact that Superman's finally ready to reveal himself to Lois. Yeah. 
that he is Clark Kent and Superman are one and the same. And Martha's saying, are you sure about this? He's like, oh, I've been sure since the moment I laid my eyes on her. And then they do kind of speed through a few more moments here. Yeah, it's, uh, it's more of what we saw like at the origin with the first episode. Yeah, so they kind of do bring that footage back in. We do see that they have their first kiss in an elevator. Then we see Superman or Clark floating above her at the Smallville farm. We do see the proposal at the Fortress of Solitude. Then we see the quick wedding. Yeah. And then we see that Lois is pregnant. But something is wrong here because Clark wakes up. Mm-hmm. And he understands that something is definitely wrong. And then we do see the shadow figure is in the mirror. So at this point, we still don't know what's going on. But we do see that Clark has somehow put this together that this is definitely not setting in. And as he winds up taking himself out of the equation for a little second, we see that the Lois is still talking like he's there. And then lo and behold, Pad, who is behind everything? Uh, that would be one Morgan Edge, a.k.a. Tall Row. Yes, who is a Kryptonian device that is prying information out of Clark's head. Uh-huh. So this was the big reveal. He was the shadow figure behind everything. So as he winds up digging in, they do flash to when Lois announces she's pregnant. We do see the birth of the twins. Yeah. And then, obviously, something is definitely wrong. Yeah. So the plan is out that Edge has now revealed to him that I'm just making you relive your life. Because I want you to surrender to me. Yeah, Clark's worried he's going to go after the kids in the in the in the hospital. He goes, "Oh, I wouldn't hurt him as as uh, babies. I have no issue with going against them, uh, going after them as teenagers." Yes, because once he steps into the memories, too, Edge has to snap him out. So they do kind of have that quick. All right, he's now inside the head. You can definitely see that he's been picking around trying to pry into Clark's head. Finally, has what he needs. Gets out and says. Either you fall in line or I'm going after your family. Very high stakes moment here because Clark obviously is saying, well, that's not going to happen. And he tries fighting him. And remember, he's still in a weakened state from using his solar blast Mm -hmm. to destroy the Eradicator. Yeah. Well, Tauro is completely in uh, perfect health. He winds up absolutely wiping the floor with him and smashes the Jor-El hologram. To smithereens. Yeah. And as he leaves Clark just lying beaten on the floor of the Fortress of Solitude, we do get a quick flashback to Smallville, where there was uh, kind of a throwaway scene, in my opinion. Yeah. Where we had Kyle talking with Lana and Lois about what happened. Yeah. The kids meet, and for everybody who has been shipping them, Sarah and Jordan now are a couple. I don't care. The husband apologized. He's still a dick. Yeah, exactly. So this one, like I say, for everything that was going on in the episode, it was kind of a throwaway moment, but it does progress the story for a couple other characters. I wasn't mad. Yeah. It didn't take away anything for it. Just yeah. didn't move the needle for Makes me. Makes sense, though. Yeah, because once we see Edge, he winds up showing up at the Kent's house. Yeah. And Jordan at least tries doing the right thing and tries fighting him, and obviously he knows he's completely outclassed. Yeah, just a bit. Yes, because we do get the flashback of, well, Morgan Edge is explaining everything that's going on. i got to remember to call him Tal Rowe, but I'm so used to calling him it's Edge. It's one of the same. Yeah, that he winds up explaining, well, Clark might have set up his base in the Fortress of Solitude. I set up mine in the desert. I like the sun. And as we see that he sets up everything there, we see that he is now being driven by Zeta Rowe, and has the tough love approach yeah. to taking over because he's saying the world is yours. I say, well, Jarrell might be a father some people might like to have, or, you know, aspire to be. Uh, Zadaro, the opposite. Yes, complete opposite. 
winds up basically torturing him until he complies to the will of Zeta Rowe. And this was a very interesting thing to see as well, because you can see how everything goes, how Pat put it last week, Brightburn. Yeah. That you see what could happen if Superman wound up growing up with a wrong family and a wrong influence. Would not be surprised if at some point after the season is over and the storyline's wrapped up that the producers or even like the the writers say that Brightburn was an inspiration. Oh, yeah. You definitely have to think Cause about Because you got to figure when the series was – like I'm looking – when the series was announced in October 2019, so you got to figure – I think Brightburn came out around that time period mm-hmm. or maybe a little bit before. Would not be surprised if that – movie wasn't at least a bit of inspiration for the story this season yeah because once we see this little background happen we do see clark finally make his way to the kent farm and he's in no condition to fight no god no he's not even 50 percent. yeah so he is like i will go with you i will do this i'll do whatever you want yeah just save my family and then talro takes him away and lois is like fuming mad but i don't think she understands the situation going on as well that Clark is not able to handle this threat as is. So he winds up going back to the desert. He gets the background story that we just spoke about. And then he is basically pledged his allegiance to Tauro. So he's now in the camp of Mm -hmm. whatever the faction you want to call Tauro in. Said he's a wrestling turn. He's made a heel turn. Yes, he's made a heel turn because as we see, he is now getting tortured under the red sun. Yeah. And you see his eyes start turning red. Yeah. And we do get a quick flashback. The Lois now calls John Henry Irons and says, "You were right about everything." I think you were right. You yeah. Know, I think I think uh, Superman's been turned. Yeah. And the final shot of this episode is Superman's red eyes, and I immediately screamed, "Holy! Sh- we're going in justice." Well, maybe. Oh, we are there because he had that look like the video game. I was like all in, and then it goes, "See you July 13th. We do get the quick preview, what's going to happen then, and it basically looks like how the prophecy of John Henry Irons was uh, all in. It's a John Henry Irons. I hate to say I told you so. Yeah, but, but I, I told, told you, you so. So that is where we are with only three episodes left, I believe. Uh, four. This or was four. episode 11. Still, though. Pad, your thoughts on this? Uh, like I said, thought this was going to be a filler throwaway episode that I was like, oh, maybe I don't have to watch this, but I'm glad I stuck around. Uh, because this was one of the best episodes this season. Facts. This captured everything, because when you see the whole history of Superman, and we forget about this a lot, that for being the real first superhero, at least in a lot of people's eyes, there is so much background with him and just reminds you of like what the definition of a superhero is. And how they wrote Tyler Hoechlin's character in this hit every single classic vibe that made you growing up or whenever you picked up a comic book and really understood who Superman was. It brought back all those emotions. Mm-hmm. That if you've only seen him from the Christopher Reeves movies, if you've only seen him in, well, I guess you would say the, the Zack Snyder verse, yeah. it's still Henry Cavill does portray some of that in those movies. Yeah. That even with now, it's like whenever you've seen this incarnation and everybody goes, oh, Superman, why is he so important? Why does he resonate? He's not right. Batman. He's right. not Deadpool. He's right. not whatever. This reminds you of why. Yeah, I mean, you th- you think of some of the last few popular entries, like you mentioned, Christopher Reeve was a good was a good balance between the two. Oh yeah, it's phenomenal. Uh, that's my that's my Superman. Smallville was more Clark based than Superman. We only really saw him in the suit for five seconds. Mm-hmm. 
the animated series was far and away while was a little bit balanced between you know Clark and Superman, but if you're talking needles, it's more skewed towards the Superman side of things. And even the same with the other animated stuff was you saw him as Superman far more times than you saw him as Clark. Yeah, you know this has been the awesome blend. You know, and even with even with Zack Snyder. It was a nice blend, but it was a little different. This, to me, has been my favorite blend of the two with being Superman and Clark. Well, Hoechlin reminds me a lot of Christopher Reeve's Superman. A little bit. Like, that's the thing that I think is resonating. But, because, a modern, modern, but a modern take. Oh, it's a modern take. Yeah, absolutely. Like, we, we say modern retro when we talk Stargirl. Yeah. This has a modern retro vibe to it. And this has to remind you, because when you start talking about those heroes that have been around for 80-plus years, how are they resonating to the current comic reader the current comic watcher this is where you really need to hit those themes home that if you have never picked up a superman comic and this is the only introduction you've ever had for whatever reason this reminds you of why you care yeah and why you like this character that yeah you can say the ideals are outdated and whatever that's you know there is a lot of stuff that you can say oh well it's he's a dated character he's not relevant now this shows you you can have that character if you write him correctly and he's portraying that. You get the essence of why Superman is who Superman is and why he means so much to so many people. This episode did that for the first 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Because just showing you that this is your life and going through the early beginnings, you got it. You understood it. And that's the big takeaway from this episode. And then I can say, you can say whatever you want about the ending when obviously Tauro appears and... It is what it is, mm-hmm. but still, you understand of why it's so important to see this. And when Superman finally breaks to fall in line with what Tal Rowe is doing, that means, or that makes this episode so much more impactful, because you've seen what he's done and how much he's wanted to be Earth's protector, and now he can't, and now he's trying to protect his family, the thing that matters to him most of everything, and he can't do that. Hit this right out of the park! Amazing episode. I'm just mad we have to wait till July 13th to see the next one. Yeah, that's going to suck. Yeah. Like, I'm, I understand why. It is what it is. TV schedules, I get it. Still, I'm not happy about it. But I'm definitely happy to continue talking about it because, like I said, I'm telling you this. If you haven't caught up to the series, you need to start binge watching. ASAP. You got time to do it. Make it a priority. And definitely, if you have seen this episode, we can talk on social media. There is no embargo about this. Hit us up on those hashtags, hashtag ODPHPod. What is your thoughts about this episode of Superman and Lois? I want to say, is this the home run that we have all talked about? We can definitely discuss this. If you say no, I want to have that conversation. We'll be very polite about it. I'm not going to be yelling at you saying, you're wrong. But we can definitely talk about it because I'm telling you this. Everybody I've spoken to in the past 24 hours about this episode has said this is the best one to date. So prove us wrong or agree with us. And let's just continue that ode to Superman for a couple more days. Let us know what you think. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, guys. My name is JT. What's up, everyone? I'm Darren. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm Josh. Hey, guys. I'm Christian. Hey, what's up, y'all? This is Dominic, and we're the East Coast Avengers. We're a group of five friends who get together weekly and talk about everything that's going on in the nerd universe. Whether you're a fan of Marvel, DC, Star Wars, video games, comics, or anything else nerdy that you can think of, we're the podcast for you. You can find us on Anchor, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or whatever streaming platform you use to listen to your favorite podcasts on. 
You can also catch us on our YouTube channel where we release tons of content such as vlogs, unboxings, TV and movie recaps, and trailer reactions. So if those things sound good to you, then check out the East Coast Avengers podcast. We hope you enjoy. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideroom Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name To the desert, the oceans, or the plains Cause I wanna... Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pat, what you got for those one-shots? Gotta talk about a couple things. The first of which is Transformers news, because once I saw this, if you heard a scream, that was probably me screaming yes and cheering. Uh, because it was announced yesterday that a movie originally was slated for a June 2019 release. Transformer 7 was pulled from the schedule. Uh, and then rumors started swirling of a franchise reboot, maybe a reset with uh, Hasbro having more control. But, however, we did uh, learn yesterday what the uh, seventh film in the Transformers franchise is going to be titled. And hell fucking yes, give this to me now. Break it down. Because the film will be titled Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Uh, with the official official synopsis reading, quote, returning to the action and spectacle that first captured moviegoers around the world 14 years ago with the original, God, 14 years. Yeah. With the original Transformers, uh, Transformers Rise of the Beasts will take audiences on a 90s globetrotting adventure and introduce the Maximals, Predacons, and Terrorcons to the existing battle on Earth between Autobots and Decepticons. Uh, close quote. Now reading from an article on IGN, uh, Cable Jr., who I believe is going to be the uh, is the director. Uh, he directed Creed Two. Uh, he is Stephen Cable Jr. Uh, is grew up a Transformers fan, particularly a Beast Wars fan. Is excited to bring the Maximals, Predacons, and Terracons to the live action Transformers universe. After so many films devoted uh, to Autobots versus Decepticons. Uh, they felt the director and the producers felt it was like it was time to introduce new Transformers to the series, along with a new threat in the form of the Terrorcons. Quote, we wanted to do another chart change up and we wanted to deliver a film that has the scale and spectacle of the Michael Bay films with the heart and humor of with achieved uh, we've achieved with Bumblebee and with Shia's relationship with Bumblebee in a way in a way uh, taking place in. Uh, Brooklyn, New York, Peru, Transformers Rise of the Beasts brings the Maximals and Predacons, who are these robotic prehistoric animals who travel through time and space, as Cable uh, Capel Jr. Uh, describes them. Now on Earth, an ancient rivalry erupts, drawing in Noah, an ex-military electronics whiz, played by In the Heights, Anthony Ramos, and Elena, an artifacts researcher, played by Dominique uh, Fishback, uh, who was in Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, so... Joining that, uh, so the article goes on, those in attendance at the virtual event were shown concept art of some of the big bots in the movie. Optimus Prime returns, along with Peter Cullen doing the voice, in G1 form, that's his original form from the cartoons. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason he looks different in the in the other future movies will be explained, along with Bumblebee, who in 1994 is an off-road chima- uh, chimera form. Joining them will be RC, who now has a larger role after appearing in 2018's Bumblebee, Mirage, who is an anti-authority Porsche 911, along with Maximals, Optimus Primal, 
Hell fucking yes. Yeah. Uh, he was a descendant from, and this is me, not the article. He was in this show uh, that uh, ran on TV from, let me look here, uh, 1996 to 1999. Got three seasons. Uh, was a descendant of Optimus Prime, but name changed Optimus Primal. His Beast form. so the thing with Beast Wars was you had the Maximals, who were the good guys. They were descendants of the Autobots. Mm-hmm. They turned into animals. You had the Predacons, who were the bad guys, descended from uh, the Septicons, who turned into dinosaurs or various other, you know, not so nice uh, creatures. You had Optimus Primal, who turned into a uh, uh, ape. You have Air Razor joining them, who was introduced partway into the show. Uh, she was uh, would transform into a bird. It was like a hawker. They never really said what she was, but she was a bird and she could fly. Mm-hmm. And then Rhinox, who was kind of like the right-hand sciencey techie guy, uh, real awesome character. Uh, he could transform into a, well, if he can't figure it out by the name, a rhino. Uh, super excited for that. The, the main go, article goes on to say the main villain of the film is Scourge, who takes the symbols from his victims and fuses them onto his body as trophies. Uh, Nightbird is Scourge's dangerous ninja night hand. Uh, quote, one of the most important things we were trying to do with this movie is give the audience a lot of new. Our hope is how do we find a new set of villains and how do we find a new set of uh, priorities for these villains? If you've ever seen or been a fan of all of the other movies, you're going to see villains you've never seen before. You're going to see Autobots you've never seen before. It's one of the driving decisions we're making. Uh, fortunately for us, Transformers has a lot of tribes, so there's a really large base of characters. The movie is going to bring a lot, of, be bringing a lot of these tribes together. Close quote. Uh, Transformers: Rise of the Beasts will arrive in theaters on June 24th, 2022. Hell fucking yes! Give this to me now. Beast Wars does not get the love it deserves. Now, for its time, it was ahead of the curve. It was one of the first 3D animated shows I can remember on television. I'll give you that. Uh, It was made by the same crew who did Reboot, if you remember that show. Reboot came first, and then they did Beast Wars. The issue with Beast Wars was it did not have a big budget. Uh, You could only ever have so many characters on screen at one time. So that's why whenever you got a full good guy, bad guy battle together, you knew it was a big deal. Because that's why in certain episodes, certain characters just don't show Mm -hmm. because they couldn't afford it. You know, the technology couldn't handle it. You know, so it was what it was. The show is amazing. Like top down, like it starts off as this really simple concept of, you know, good guys chasing the bad guys through space. They've stolen something. You know, it ends up being the golden disc that humanity sent into space on, you know, the probe all those years ago. And it just delves further into this, oh, what planet are we on? We're on this planet rich with energon, and we need to harvest it, you know, to further our our means and bring back the the Decepticon empire, you know, but we're Predacons now. And then you just come to find out of, wait a minute, we're not on some random planet. We're on Earth. Holy shit, we're not just on Earth. There's the Ark with the Autobots and Decepticons waiting to wake up Mm. all these years from now. You can find the whole series on Tubi, which is free, uh, you know, free to watch. You, you get ads, you know, in about the same places they would be uh, on television. The show is phenomenal, and I cannot recommend it enough. It's it's about 20 some odd minutes, half hour once you factor in the commercials. It's only 52 episodes. That's uh, not too bad. Considering. No, no. It, it, like I said, it's a fantastic show. Nobody was mentioned for the Predacons, but I would have to imagine, OK, we're getting Optimus Primal. Please, 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 for the love of God, bring uh, Gary Chalk back. He voiced Optimus Primal for the entire series. If we're talking bad guys, you have to figure Megatron is coming back. So please, 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 for the love of God, bring back David Kay. 
And he has to say, yes, because that was the one thing Megatron in Beast Wars was known for saying a lot was, well, monologuing, monologuing, monologuing. And then he looks at the camera and goes, yes, you got to figure he's going to be showing up. I would imagine uh, Tarantulas, who was a Tarantula spider, sciencey backstabbing guy, make for good plot in the show. You know, you have to figure that. But if there's one character that is a stone cold lock the damn thing in, he's going to appear in the show. Because there's no way they can do this this movie and not include the character in. He's one of the most popular characters in Transformers history. Like, I know I remember reading about a pulse of place, and I don't remember if he got number one, but he was certainly in the top ten, top five. Okay. That would be the character of Dinobot, who was voiced by Scott McNeil. Ah. You know, samurai-like character who liked to quote Shakespeare a lot in the show. One of the most moving arcs of a character you can have in a children's television show. That you look at where he starts to where it ends, holy shit, they have to have him in the, in this movie. And it's going to be amazing. I cannot wait. Well, it's interesting they're going with Beast Wars for the movie. Like, you think about Transformers, and, mm-hmm. and I have a lot of mixed emotions for Transformers. Because mm-hmm. for me, they don't move the needle. I always was a big Transformers mark when I was a kid. Love sure. the cartoon, but... I, I, say, I remember watching it on Saturday mornings on, like, TNT or something like that. Yeah, but I've never been really sold on the movie franchise. I just The movie franchise is okay. It's kind of in the same vein as, like, maybe a Fast and Furious where you, yeah. don't, you don't go for the plot. You go for the action and the CGI and, and what major city is going to get destroyed to hell and back. Yeah. You know, but I'm just glad to see Beast Wars finally getting its due because the show is amazing. You know, I remember having a, a group of friends when this was on in television that, like, we, you know, the episode would all, and this was the awesome thing about the show was it was syndicated from, it was, I believe it was made in Canada, mm. and it was syndicated, and it was on weekday mornings right before I went to school. Okay. So this, you know, this was the hot button thing to talk about, you know, because I think this was also right before Dragon Ball Z came out, mm-hmm. you know, so once Dragon Ball Z came out, that t- kind of took things over in the playground. But for a, gr- a group of us, this was like the hot button show to talk about that, like, oh, my God, did you see this episode? You know, oh, what, what's going to happen that to see, you know, it, it, it it's not, it, you know, it's popular. It's got a group. It's got a good fan base. But I think by and large, it never got the love it deserved. I mean, the last it's never gotten a Blu-ray re- re-release. You have to figure maybe one will come out now. You know, but the last release of any form of the show was for the 15th anniversary. They put out the uh, show in DVD form, which you can find on Amazon for cheap price right now. I guarantee you that price with the Netflix show coming where the Beast Wars are going to get introduced in that series. And now this movie coming, the price of those DVDs on Amazon is going to be going up very soon. You know, but it's it's just great to see a show I loved so much as a kid that got forgotten for a lot of years finally get its its love and, and due diligence. Yeah, because for a lot of people, they don't realize that there was Beast Wars. Yeah. Like, it's always just been Optimus Prime as the rollout tractor trailer. Yeah. So, you understand that. And to see that this show is now going to get its shine as a movie, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Like that's, I don't think people realize how big of a move that is. Yeah. So I'm definitely will go see it with you. I, right. I I will put it out there. Like I said, I'm not the biggest Transformers guy, but I will but I will definitely go see it. Yeah, because I want to see what the hype's about. Uh, and then the other bit of news I have, and God, I can't say I'm surprised by this. Uh, Harrison Ford has uh, injured himself during a fight scene rehearsal for Indiana Jones Five. Oh man! So reading from an article on IGN.com, it says Harrison Ford injured his shoulder during a fight scene rehearsal for Indiana Jones Five, but filming is proceeding around him while he is treated and recovers. Disney has confirmed the injury to deadline, but the extent of the injury hasn't been disclosed. Quote, 
Production will continue while appropriate course of treatment is evaluated and the filming schedule will be reconfigured as needed in the coming weeks, close quote, reads the company's statement. Uh, so yeah, this isn't the first time Ford has hurt himself in recent years. Of course, we all remember uh, back in 2014, he had surgery following an accident on the set of The Force Awakens where the Millennium Falcon door fell and crushed his leg. You know, he was, I believe, if I remember right, his leg was in a cast. Mm-hmm. He missed filming for a bit of time. You know, he made a full recovery, you know, uh, filming for Indy 5 uh, did begin in the UK uh, a couple weeks ago, and the film is still planned for a July 29th, 2022 uh, release date. Uh, So not totally surprising. I mean, the man's getting up there in age, so I figured something would happen along the way. You know, I don't wish it on the man, but I'm not surprised. Yeah, I'm not super surprised either, and hopefully he has a very speedy and healthy recovery. Yeah, like like I said, can't wait for the movie. Uh, Yeah, yeah, it should be good. Uh, switching to my comic picks for the weeks, uh, what I'm reading this week, uh, you've got Action Comics issue number 1032 coming out this week. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man issue 69 uh, coming out this week. Uh, listen, I know Nick Spencer's coming to the end of his run, but my God, he's going out in a blaze of glory. Uh, specifically with a certain uh, child of Kingpin coming back to life recently. Yo, yeah, that ending scene still. Uh-huh. I went, wait, What? Mm-hmm. because that was a big shock. And and like I say, Spencer's run, say what you will. Some people love him like Pad. Some people oh, yeah. don't. He has really deep-dived into the Spider-Man playbook. Yeah. And I think that that is something that, win, lose, or draw, he's got to be applauded about. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times we forget about these classic characters yeah. that were in like that 70s to 90s window where there was so much creativity and expanding the universes a little bit that we always forget how, how great his rogues gallery is. Now, it's not to say that what we've had since the 90s to now has been bad, because it definitely hasn't been. Right. Except Clone Saga, because forget yeah. anything involving clones. But for what he's done, man, like he has to be applauded for. Oh, absolutely. Uh, also out this week, uh, Detective Comics issue number 1038. Yo, this is getting real interesting real quick. Yeah. Just saying, uh, the, the description of this reads, quote, an epic battle is taking place in Gotham City. Below the city streets? Batman and Mr. Worth are locked in a deadly duel involving a rocket launcher, a microcave subterranean system, and a whole lot of bloody knuckles. Can Huntress save Lady Clayface before the entire city collapses from underneath itself? Plus, the insidious vile makes his move, and boy is it ugly. Featuring March of the Penguin, Gotham's seediest gangster is looking to take advantage of the unrest in the city, and the Penguin is finally ready to make his move. This is getting real fucking interesting real quick. People sleep on detectives too much. Uh-huh. They do quality work. Quality, yeah. quality work. Uh, also out this week, you've got Justice League issue number 63. Uh, Star Wars Darth Vader issue number 13. A description of this reads, Dark Lord versus Dark Droid. Darth Vader and Ochi of Bastoon embark on an assert, upon a search for the carbonite-frozen body of Han Solo. Get ready for intrigue, betrayal, and action in the heart of Hut space with the explosive reappearance of everyone's favorite assassin droid, IG-88. Yeah. And a shocking cliffhanger brings the shadows to life. This has been really good. I can't wait to see where they go with this one. And then lastly, uh, Superman issue number 32. So those are my picks for the week. Solid lineup, Pad. Solid lineup. I want to throw a couple more in. Sure. Uh, From the DC front, Infinite Frontier number one is coming out. So this one... Definitely has got me very, very interested to see what's going on there. On the Marvel side, Heroes Return number one is coming out. So definitely want to see what's going on there. And like I say, I I did read something that was getting released 
about how the X-Men, I guess, are doing something with Onslaught. Okay. Uh, I don't have an official take yet. If you did not read Onslaught, yeah. It, sure. I, I, I got some feelings about that. And like I say, I got to get some more information. I, I did get hip on Twitter about it, and I'm like, let me read a little more into it, and I'll have a take coming by next week, hopefully. Uh, Marvel Side 2, Wolverine 13, Ben Piercy, enough said. And definitely have to plug our friends over at Valiant yeah. because we have been fortunate enough. We've been able to do some reviews since we're on the press list. So definitely shout out to those guys. And this week, hitting the shelves, Shadow Man number three, Cullen Bunn, Don, John Davis Hunt are painting an epic going on. If you like your horror supernatural comics, they are delivering the book. I'm not even spoiling it. Uh, is easy to pick up if you're a new reader. And I say this all the time. They probably have the best recap page in all of comics. Okay. I am showing Pad because it's right here on our blog that you get Baron Somdi just breaking down everything. Nice. And just the artwork in it, I'm, I love. And Bun's storytelling is fantastic. So if you want to look something different on the racks, definitely go pick up Shadow Man. Like I said, just rebooted, but he's a classic hero from the Valiant Universe. You definitely want to go see it. And I'm going to tell you right now, make sure you mark your calendars down for when Ninjak comes out. Mm-hmm. Because we did the preview for that as well. It is fantastic. I cannot stress this enough. You need to go cop this when it drops in July. And we did get a little press release too about free comic book day coming out. And Valiant has something big dropping on that. So not that we have to tell you to save the date already. But August 14th is free comic book day 2021. Mm. Make sure you go to your LCS local comic shop. Make sure to get there early, uh-huh. bring some friends, tell them to bring some friends, and definitely enjoy the books coming out. And like I said, the Valiant one, ooh, that's going to be a must grab. Yeah, and you, you never know what you'll see when you go down to your local comic shop. Uh, when I went to Soundground one year, I got to see Punisher take on Deathstroke, although it wasn't Punisher and it wasn't Deathstroke. It was Shankar and Axel Lennox from Excite Wrestling in the middle of Soundground. Still. It's really it's really fun. You never know what you're going to see. It's always fun. We'll definitely hype it up as we get closer to Free Comic Book Day. But we always stress this here on the show. As much as we like digital comics, there is absolutely nothing that compares walking into a comic shop, making some friends, talking some books, and getting that live in-person experience. You can't put a price tag on that. Just to have that social interaction it literally leads to some of the best moments of your life. Just going to say that out loud. And to kind of sum up a couple other things going on, there's a lot of trailers that dropped this week. Yeah. Snake Eyes dropped for the new G.I. Joe film. Ah, uh, yeah. The, the boats, uh, the, boat, the, the windows closed on that one. See, I kind of have the same vibe I do with Transformers when I see it. But I might wind up going to see it. I, like, I get the whole G.I. Joe fascination, you know, I understand it. But just it for me, it's kind of like with the, the Avatar two coming out after like fifteen years after the original one or whenever the hell it's coming out. The the ship has sailed on that one. You missed yeah. your opportunity. Yeah, it's still Snake Eyes though. I mean, that's the yeah. thing for me. Growing up as a GI Joe fan, like Snake Eyes was like Wolverine to me. Sure. So like I am definitely intrigued about it. I'm not like super like yeah, take my money now. But I might wind up going to see it after all. Uh, speaking of more trailers, Suicide Squad had a new trailer come out. Yeah. Looked phenomenal. And listen, I guess we have to make an editorial. <laughs> If you don't read the comics, you can't freak out when something happens in the movie. Yeah. And they have made no bones about it. Yeah. There is a moment that happens. Yeah, there's a line in the trailer which people kind of took exception with. 
that, oh, how could this happen? You know, blah, 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 blah. And kudos to James Gunn for his response. Uh, he didn't put out a long-worded statement, you know, on a notes app on his phone. He posted a picture straight out of the comic book. Yeah. Like, seriously, folks, this is what I tell you. Go to your comic shops and go ask, hey, there's a movie coming out. What do you recommend? How do I know about these characters? Trust me. People will tell you. Also, are, are we really one to question James Gunn's decisions? Seriously. Given, given his track record with making movies? Seriously. At this stage in the game, I am thankful he has taken over Suicide Squad because it's going to get weird. Yeah. It's going to get wild. And bring it on for August. I'm there opening night. I think we're going to have a big group that comes out opening night for that one. But the last trailer I want to talk about before we get into the closing movie talk, as we say. Titans unveiled their trailer for season three. Now, this is going to be dropping on August 12th and definitely have a lot of opinions about this. Mm -hmm. So we do know that this is now going to be taking place in Gotham City. So they're moving Mm -hmm. the team, which I don't have an issue with. And it looks like we are going to get very dark because we are now going to be introducing the Red Hood. So Jason Todd, who's played by Kern Walters on the show, we do have the opening montage is he is walking into an amusement park. Somebody is hanging there uh, pinned up with the Joker grin a la from the Tim Burton film, which mm. ironically 32 years ago, I believe. Oh, today. yeah. So happy anniversary to one of the greatest films of all time. Enough said there. So we do see kind of they're teasing they're going to do the transformation like death in the family. We do see a quick shot of Scarecrow. We do see the Red Hood face. We do see... Uh, a certain Bruce Wayne making his reappearance yeah. with Ian Glenn. We don't know what's going to go on there, but we do see the crowbar that the Joker uses. Uh, so Hey-o. I don't know what exactly is going to go on there. And we do kind of see a quick shot of everybody else. And obviously we know Brendan Thwaites is going to be Dick Grayson Nightwing now. So that being said, my only hopes for this is I want to see a better consistent show this year. Sure. I do like this show. But it's like one of those mixed bags for me because when it's good, oh, it's on point. Right. But when it's bad, it's like, oh. And there's no in between. There isn't. No, it's it's like literally every episode you're like, I liked it or I didn't. And for me, I think when they do some really cool takes like the, in the first season of the nuclear family, I thought it was right. a brilliant idea. But when you got to that season finale, and I'm sorry, that was one of the biggest clickbait trailers I have seen personally in my opinion it was a letdown and then the season two premiere was like a continuation for about half the episode like you could just made that into one season finale and I've been happy with it right albeit though season two was better if you haven't seen it but they bring in Deathstroke and if you know anything about the Teen Titans you know the history with Deathstroke nailed it to the point loved it loved every minute of it but then again we get to the season finale again and they misfire, in my opinion, on that as well. We talked about it on the show. So if you want to find the episode, you can. That I'm just hoping this go around, we finally get consistency out of here. And now we're bringing in a lot of new players in. Gotham is going to be the front and focus center. Let's see what we do here. Because I'm excited to see what they wind up pulling off. So we do know that it's going to be dropping August 12th. I am excited to see it when it drops. And we go from there. Because trust me, we will be talking about it on this show Rest assured. But lastly, there is a movie hitting theaters this week. This is one of Pad's favorite franchises. It has become, yeah. Didn't start out that way. It definitely didn't start out that way. But 
here we are, and we are now technically 10 films deep mm-hmm. if we count the spinoff. Count the spinoff, yeah. Because, quite frankly, I don't understand how we've gotten to this level. I really don't. No. Since 2001, we have been brought into the world of Dominic Toretto. So I think the 20th anniversary was last week. Yep. The street racer that was boosting DVDs. And if you don't believe us, go watch the Honest trailer they did for the first movie. Uh-huh. Where you see him paired up in a battle of... I, I, I don't even want to say wit. I don't want to say wits. And he is obviously paired off with the undercover cop, the late Paul Walker. And you see how this franchise goes from that initial moment where Paul Walker's character is investigating Vin Diesel's about the illegal street racing crime family that is what they're doing to where we are now. Nine films later in the franchise. Space, motherfucker. With one spinoff, and if you've been listening to the ODPH since day one, I have said this. They're going to wind up in space. And you've said this before the ODPH. Yep. This has been long-term. If you know me outside of this, when I was just doing my Facebook blogs, I have said this franchise is going to wind up in space because that's the only place it can go now. Yeah, and I believe you. the phrase you specifically said was drifting around Saturn's rings. Yep, that is how it's going to end. Vin Diesel is going to be in a little rocket ship drifting around. Probably Wiz Khalifa is going to be playing in the background as he's drifting, and that's how it ends. That's how I need it to end because for where we are now, here is a quick synopsis of these films. We had Brian O'Connor. The undercover cop, played by the late Paul Walker, investigating Vin Diesel and Dominic Toretto's family here. And he winds up letting Dom go, running free. Dominic Toretto is gone for the sequel. We have new characters get involved. Then we go to Tokyo Drift, which is technically out of order. Whole new characters, albeit there is a Dominic Toretto cameo at the end. Because he realized how much money he could make. Exactly. So Hollywood is taking shape here. We come back with the fourth one. And we're now setting up a trilogy style. We now add Dwayne the Rock Johnson as Hobbs. And we get more characters involved. Jason Statham's Shaw comes in. And we go just completely in a wild direction where now this illegal street racing team that was going around boosting DVDs and TVs out of the back of tractor trailers is now the world's most deadliest fighting force how the hell did we get here yeah i mean just for you know comparisons just to see how crazy this has gotten uh the first film fast and furious which ken mentioned uh debuted just yesterday actually uh june 22nd 2001 uh came to a gross 207 a little over 207 million dollars worldwide the sequel which came out in 2003 uh grossed a little over 236 million dollars worldwide the third one, Tokyo Drift, came out in 2006, grossed uh, a little over $158 million worldwide. Uh, Fast and Furious uh, came out in 2009, grossed a little over $363 million worldwide. Fast Five, uh, of course, this was the first one where you had The Rock appear. Uh, mm-hmm. You're, you're going to notice a bit of a bump here. Previous film, $363 million. Fast Five, $626 million worldwide. Uh, Fast and Furious 6, my personal favorite of the franchise thus far, uh, came out with, uh, ended up grossing $788.6 million worldwide. Furious 7, uh, $1.5 million worldwide that came out in 2015. 
Fate of the Furious, which came out in 2017, uh, $1.2 million worldwide. Hobbs and Shaw came out in August of 2019, uh, $759 million worldwide. The franchise keeps making money, so I understand why we're still going. But so yeah, uh, for a total gross, because uh, the Wikipedia page does have a nice little handy uh, chart here and at the bottom. Worldwide all-time gross, $6.1 billion. Yeah, it's and, insane. And, and it's over. Like six billion, $6,183,258,632. It's insane. All-time ranking, that is ninth in the world. It's absolutely crazy to see how this is now turned into like the modern, like I, I, I don't even know how you describe it. This franchise will not die. Yeah, Furious Seven is currently the uh, ninth highest grossing film of all time, with only Avengers One, Lion King from uh, 2019, Jurassic World, Avengers Infinity War, Star Wars: The Force Awakens, Titanic, Avengers Endgame, and Avatar ahead of it. It's crazy. It is because of how this started. Like to how we got here is nuts. And like we said, Vin Diesel left for the second film. He wasn't involved. Tyrese Gibson came in as yeah. Roman. So he was introduced. Tokyo Drift had a whole new set. Which didn't make sense at the time, but then you get further along in the movies. Oh, okay, now it makes sense. Yeah, because you know what they got smart about, it, and they retconned it and tied it in. So it made sense then. And now they're gonna retcon part of that again. Yeah, because we'll just use reasons but here we are with all new characters involved and now john cena is getting introduced to the family as jacob toretto isn't cardi b in this one too quite possibly because i think i've seen her in promotional material for this movie i want to say i think she is but i'm not like a thousand percent sure but the one thing about this franchise is as much as we rip on it and trust me we do you're going well why you keep going back it's one of these films that you don't go for the plot. If you seriously do, you'll give yourself a headache. Cardi B is in Fast 9, and she is already uh, coming back for... It's already been said she's coming back for Fast 10. Okay. There is so many people that want to get in to see this franchise and see what they do oh, yeah, and, the- and be tagged with it because there is just this whole vibe about it, that there is a fan base. Like We always say like the WWE Universe yeah. or the people that only go to see WWE and they want to say, okay, this is why I go. And this is the only thing I watch. Same thing with Fast and Furious. That there is a fan base that this is their story. And it's just crazy to see how this team of legal street racers is now the world's most dangerous fighting force. Taking on cyber criminals, taking on terrorists, taking on everything under the sun. Yeah, It's nuts. You try wrapping your head around it, trust me, your head will explode. Yeah. Well, and I know a lot of people just don't understand why it's still going, and I know my parents are among them. But, hey, listen, in, in a world where money talks, $6.1 billion does a lot of talking. Yeah, and like I said, you can't be mad about that. I always say, if they're getting their money right, you can't be mad. Like I said, I can't hate on them. I just think the movies, I'm like, I just don't get why they're this popular with a story that's this bad. But I get it because the actors are that big and that popular. Like, they've just transcended this entire franchise into a must-watch moment in the summer. You know when this movie comes out, it's going to make a ton of money. Everybody's going to be talking about it. It does have that cool, hip vibe to it. And, like, how they've mastered this, I mean, applaud them. You have to. I just don't get how we've gotten to this point. And, like I said, it needs to end in space. That's the only place it can do now. Or they have to fight Sharknado. (laughs) 
No, they did. They got to cross do the, the, the crossover with uh, Jurassic World that everyone's talking about. I keep hearing about that. I just don't. I don't know. And I just Chris Pratt and the Fast and Furious franchise. Just saying. Well, I mean, you, you know, it's going to happen. You know, it's going to happen because everybody wants to get tagged to this franchise. I just, I just don't get how they do it. But you know what? Salute to Vin Diesel and company. They they found they found a way to capture magic in a bottle to make this as uber popular as they have. And for many film goers, we go, why do we go see it? Yeah. It's summer box luster fun. It's, like, it's it's a good movie with with action. You turn your brain off for the plot, and you just sit there and you have fun. Yeah. Like, you don't got to think about it too hard. You don't got to understand motivations and why somebody's doing this and what altruistic reasons they might have. Like, nah, it's just fun. Yeah, five minutes into the film, I'm already throwing my hands up. I'm like, I don't care. But and, I'm going to And to see how they top the stunt from the previous movie. Yeah. So we'll be recapping this next week. Oh, trust us. We'll have something to say about this movie next week, so stay tuned for that. Fast 9 drops at your local theaters if you are able to watch it this Thursday night. So on uh, social media, let us know what you think of the film. Definitely. We we will have a lot to say next week. Trust us about that. So that all being said, Pad, the music you heard on this episode, is that a shout at the robots? Mm-hmm. They have a gig Saturday night. hey where do I go to find out about Shout of the Robots? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. You swing on over to the music section. You can find everything around with Shout. And trust me, if you haven't seen Shout live, fantastic. Love those guys. They are going to put on a killer set. Uh, I am actually really excited to see what they're going to do because I don't know. They're going to get on stage and probably just go lose their minds because mm-hmm. that's what they do at a Shout show. But this has been the first time I think they played out in a long time, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe they snuck in one other gig too. Yeah. But this will be the first time I've seen them, so uh, I might just go run on stage. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. Uh, but it's going to be a stacked thing, so you can definitely check the, everything going on with them, their Patreon, because they're fantastic. You can also check out everything going on with Tom Jolu. Sign up for that new album. You heard the sounder in this episode, so definitely go support TomJolu.com and see everything going on with him. Floodlands, Second Suitor, Yard Party, Brian Wolf, our guy down in Texas. Hey-o. The Brian Wolf Band, the Brian Wolf Music, whatever the band is getting called now. Go, definitely go check them out and thank them too because they allow us to play their music on here without any issues. It's just a simple text and it's like, yeah, do what you want. That's how good people they are. So yeah. salute to them. But while you're on the website, swing on over the directory. You can check out Friends of the Show. You can check out an organizational link supporting Black Lives Matter. You can check out all the amazing pod groups we are in because, Pad, what's my old rule? Uh, the one with the gold makes the rules. Yep. And my other rule after that, if you're in a pod group and you claim you are, and you're not on Podchaser with really, group. You're not in a pod group. So definitely shout out to all our friends over in the Apocalypse and the Innered Circle. And definitely make sure you are participating in that Podlift Tuesday every Tuesday on ARR Radio FM on Twitter. It's a great place to network if you're a podcast. So go do it. Make some friends. We did. We got a lot of friends there. And definitely we want to shout out our good friends here locally. Of course, our hashtag 607 Podcast family. Rich, Ron, Mike C. And of course, the Lord of the Minnows. The one and only Big Natty Cool, still on Twitter, Pat. Oh, boy. You can't stop him. He's got a a, a, a surefire love is scary I, I am privy to and I cannot talk about Uh-oh. because Mike C is back in the studio. So if you want to find out everything going on with those guys, patreon.com slash 8122productions. All of that links to the T Public store where the sale is going on too, Pat. hey So definitely get yourself some Parlay Club swag. Hottest thing going in independent podcasting right now. Links to the Parlay Points blogs, because you know we definitely are talking some comic reviews. All that and so much more. ODPHpodcast.com. That's all I got for this week. 
So for the one only Padawan J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken. I'm Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. We'll see you next time. Task in hand, the making of a monster, the crowning.